we uh, <clears throat> last service uh, I was preaching and I was very cold, shivering the whole time. I think I played it cool uh, because the first service people are they're very prideful that they are first service people and they are not cold. Um, and you don't want them to know that you are cold and that you, if you were not a pastor, you would be a second service person. You want the first service people to think, no, I'm one of you. I'm a first service person, but I am not a first service person. I'm a second service person. Okay, is that, are we good with that? Are we clear? Okay. Uh, Merry Christmas. So uh, I had a, my family, we had a, a meeting last night, my wife, uh, where we discussed, we're like in it, like it's already December 13th, we're like in the Christmas season, and you got this is where you start, got to start really being careful because um, desserts are just flying everywhere at this point, and um, cookies and things, and not so much that I don't want to consume them, but I want to consume the right ones. And so we had a quick family meeting about just like staying on, on track, if you will, um, focus on the right things and just be reminded that really like Rice Krispie Treats are better than almost everything that's available at Christmas. And so we agreed, we went to the store, we made Rice Krispie Treats, uh, and it was great, just the two of us. So um, that's my update on Christmas. I hope you guys are doing great. We are already like oh, what, halfway through December, which is crazy, and we're in week two of our Advent series. And uh, we've been bouncing in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapters one and two. This morning we're going to be back in chapter 1, and today we're going to look at this idea that God is with the lowly. That God is with the lowly. We use this word lowly. We're talking about humility. We're talking about meekness. We're talking about being of a, a low position. And this morning we're going to look particularly at the person of Mary. And Mary joins a long list of unexpected people all throughout the Bible, who God uses, who God raises up that, that we wouldn't expect, people who are of humble, lowly stature that are used by God for incredible works. Now, I grew up a good Protestant boy, so I've got a healthy hesitation when I talk about Mary. You know what I'm talking about. You ever feel as a Protestant that you got to make sure you kind of like downplay Mary? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. There's a lot of ways you can get the Mary thing wrong, right? But there's a lot of things we don't believe about Mary that many people do. And um, I believe, you know, many have taken it too far. A lot of people, um, Roman Catholic Church, talking about Mary being without sin or that we would offer up prayers to Mary. And I think that while those things go too far, I think we also can sometimes, like, downplay the person of Mary like she's just sort of this, like, surrogate mother of God and nothing else. Kind of like she's... Just this server at a restaurant that brings you like a great meal, but you kind of like forget their name. You know what I'm talking about? And the meal is perfect, and the meal is without sin, and the meal is wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, took a couple steps too far on the analogy, right? But as Protestant Christians, we have so much to say about Mary. And I was thinking this week, I have two young daughters, and I want my daughters to, to look up to Mary because I think she's an awesome person we find in Scripture. She has incredible faith. And she says yes to God. It's really clear we're going to see in our passage this morning. She says yes to God without seeing really clearly at all what the path ahead is going to look like, right? And so I want to raise kids who say yes to God. And so I think I want to raise kids who look up to the person of Mary. And I, I want us as Christians to be um, Christians who celebrate the life of Mary and have our, our faith strengthened by her faith. And so we're going to open up God's Word, and, and I want to do that this morning, okay? Look with me in verse... 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee.
region around it was also called Galilee. And these were small towns. And Nazareth was just a bit further southwest of this lake. Just an idea, like, if you're trying to understand this, has anybody been to, like, Lake Mission Viejo? Yeah? Okay, so it's, like, nothing like that. Um, it's a lot bigger. But now I know who has the Lake Mission Viejo Pass, right? But uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we find something super interesting. John, chapter 1, verse 46, Nathaniel. A lot of theologians believe this must have been some sort of common phrase of the day. Uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? Some sort of like first century bullying. Right? And we won't come up with our own like modern example. That would probably offend somebody. But, but not only was Nazareth just a small village, but it wasn't even as significant as many of the other towns and, and villages around it. I remember when I was in college, my dad gave me a book to read. And um, it was a book that was meant to kind of be a roadmap for achieving like success and influence in your life. And you can tell that I read that book from cover to cover, right? I don't know if you notice when you're driving in, there's a 2006 Toyota Corolla parked in the parking lot. So uh, you know I read the book. But this book had detailed chapters on all sorts of things. And it, it had chapters about like your morning routine and building habits and building a network and how to choose a school and but I'll never forget, it had a whole chapter that was devoted to one thing, and it said, if you want to begin a life of influence and significance in business or finance or anything, you need to just pack up your stuff and move to one of three cities in the United States. And he just said it straight up. He said, you just need to pick one of these cities. You need to live there. And we can probably guess what these cities are. This book was written in 2010. Obviously, Mission Viejo's on there. So what are the other two? Right. New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, right? A whole chapter. And he said, look, if you want to start out and you want to be somebody who has influence and is building a network, this is what you need to do. You just need to pack up and live in one of these three cities. And there's this idea that we know where the next big stories are coming from. That we know the places on this earth that keep the world spinning. And, and we know where significance and influence comes from. And largely because it's been true in years past of business and, and culture and all sorts of things. But I love this chapter of the Bible because here we have the God of all creation saying, you can, you can go ahead and keep your eyes fixed on Rome, but I'm about to shift the course of human history through a teenage girl in this little town of Nazareth. And so Gabriel finds Mary, verse 28, look with me. It says, and he came to her. It can't be a Christmas game because there's never been a Christmas yet. But she has no idea what sort of greeting might this be. And the angel said to her, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. We find a God who tells his story through all sorts of lowly people that nobody would expect, of all sorts of backgrounds, ages, occupations. And the common thread in Scripture seems to be lowliness and humility. That God, that God takes those who are of humble posture and he raises them up for his glory, for his work. Or he 
takes down and tears down the prideful like Saul and then raises them up in humility for the glory of God and the purposes of Jesus. And the result then is a story that's far more glorious than any story that we would have written because God deserves all the praise. And it makes it so clear that God deserves all the praise. And we really see clearly that God is the author of this story when we look at the next verse here, how Gabriel describes these events as being certain to come, that God is in control. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. of course, because nothing is impossible with God. In verse 38, Mary then said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary speaks twice to Gabriel. First, a question. And then second, as this statement here. And we start to see the posture of the heart of Mary, the posture of humility. She's built trust in God. And her question was, how will this happen? And Gabriel gives an answer, but of course the answer is like totally nuts, right? So that's not helping anything, okay? <laughs> and yet, she, com- she comes back and she's going to speak again and she just says, all right, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Your plans, your purposes, these things are above me. How you want to use my life is above me. And so I receive all things from God. I serve God, so let it be as God desires. I think as we look at the response of Mary here, I think we can declare something like this together. May may the posture of our hearts and the desire of our hearts be aligned with the God of our hearts. May the posture and the desires of our hearts be aligned with the God who is over us and in us. Mary declares two things, really. She declares, this is my posture and this is my desire. First, she declares her posture. This is how I view our relationship. I am a servant of the Lord. I don't try to work my way to a position above you. I don't try to work to put you in debt to me. You don't owe me anything. I'm just a servant of the Lord. And then we see her desire. Let my life unfold as you desire, as you have spoken, as you have ordained. My desire is your desire. Let it be for me according to your word. And we struggle with surrendering our autonomy like that, don't we? And there's a lot of people on this earth who want God working for them. But they don't want God on the throne exactly, right? 
And look at verse 37, right? It says, nothing is impossible with God. Okay, that's nice, okay? Nothing is impossible with this guy. I could take advantage, I could use that. I could use a guy like that in my life. Nothing is impossible. And that's the natural way for people to see God, right? This is the natural disposition of a heart towards God. If this is a God whom nothing is impossible for him, that's great. I can use that. I can work with that. (laughs) I can come up with a lot of ways to use God. But of course, God has a better plan. And I like how Paul Tripp describes it. So I grabbed this quote for you guys. He says, The baby in the manger came as a conquering king to dethrone us and then to enthrone himself in our hearts and lives forever and ever. God removes us from this position. God removes our pride from the throne of our hearts. And I think specifically, he does it not just to leave us for dead, not just to defeat us, not just to show that he can defeat us, but to come and fill our hearts with himself and then fill our desires for him that our desires would be for Christ, as it should be, right? And so I think it's good for us to stop and say, is that true of our hearts today? If we were to examine our own heart. This has been a crazy year, and we're, you know, we hear story after story as pastors. of just, It's just a hard year for people, and a different year, and a unique year, and wrestling with emotions and thoughts. And If your posture toward God has gotten off track this year, and if your desire toward God has gotten off track this year, you've probably started to get a sense that nothing feels the way it ought to feel. Maybe you can sense some of that in your life today, in this year. But what happens is that our response to this is that so often, rather than just falling at the feet of Jesus and how we feel, and the things that consume us and overwhelm us, is that we're so quick to just tell ourselves that the problem is that we just need more of something, right? I mean, there's so many examples, but I mean, here's just a few, right? We, we tell ourselves we just need more time, right? And there's many people who look at this year as just a sort of endurance. Like, I, we just need to, time to pass for this year. We need time to just go by. Or maybe you think, I just need more time to get through all the things I need to do in order to then be okay. Maybe we think we need more money. We think money can solve a lot of things. We need more space. We need a bigger house. We need less debt hanging over my head. Or we think we need more knowledge. We think that if God would just show us more of what he is doing, then I'll be able to feel okay. And We start to think... I just need to know more from God. God needs to reveal more to me. I can't have a posture like Mary if God won't show more to me. Or maybe we think we just need more control. I need the things to start working out that I need to be working out, right? And then I'll be fine. But we see here in the life of Mary that so little is revealed to her, right? And yet it was all she needed to trust and proclaim and to follow and really to worship. How do we know that Mary and, and who we'll see here, Elizabeth, how do we know they trust God in a deep way? Because, because they're, they're free to worship God without demanding any of these things up front. 
God, I need, I need a few of these things fixed. I need you to tell me more about what it is you're doing in my life because it's very unclear right now. Or I need more time. I need more money. Mary and Elizabeth are not demanding anything of God up front. They have a deep trust in God and it comes out in the way that they are free to worship God without all of these things. And this is what we see as we continue in the next verse. Look at verse 39 with Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. Okay, with haste. I don't know how fast that is. No idea. I rode a camel this week, though. Very fast. Okay. You think I didn't ride a camel? You think he would just... Why would I just say I rode a camel this week? Okay. I rode a camel this week. It was terrifying. You know why it was terrifying? Because it was warm. It started to warm me up, and I did not like that. Okay. Anyway, with haste. I actually do think that's possible now. Okay. It was a very fast camel with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's pretty cool, right? If you don't know your Bible super well, that the, Elizabeth is is pregnant right now with John the Baptist. Okay, that's pretty cool. Okay, like that's really cool. My wife's pregnant right now, not John the Baptist, regular kid. I will love the child. I will raise the child. Sadly, not John the Baptist, okay? But here we see this supernatural faith given to Elizabeth to declare that her Lord and Savior is inside the womb of Mary. It's pretty cool. It's cool insight, right? And we're humbled to think that God would reveal such wisdom to somebody, and yet has God not done so much for us in revealing his wisdom, his truth, his son? He reveals his son to Elizabeth in this moment. Doesn't he reveal his son to us? What does Jesus say to Thomas in John chapter 20? He says, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who believe though they have not seen. It's a humble thing for us to think about. That If we celebrate Christmas this year, if you celebrate Christmas as as someone who knows that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, who came born as a child in Bethlehem, it's not because you sat down in your cool library and you took out paper and you figured it all out, right? It's not because you, like, cracked the code and you watched enough, like, cool History Channel documentaries, right? Ultimately, if you stand here today and you worship Jesus as Lord, it's because God has revealed this to you by His Spirit. And we received it, and we believed it. And, and so first and foremost, I think what we can say about Christmas is when we look at the story of Christmas, is there anything for us to be but humble? And the story of Christmas is a story of humility, certainly, in Christ, and it's a story of humility in the characters we see around the life of Mary. Is there anything for us to be but humble? And I think Mary agrees with this. In fact, I think if Mary were here right now, she would probably say, David, 
That's a great point. And if you will follow me to the next verse, I would like to lead us in a song, right? That's what Mary would say. And so in verse 46, we find Mary's song. It's an incredible passage, very well known. We're going to read it together. Look at this posture, right? Before I read this, I think it's really important to recognize that like Gabriel came and said, like, oh, all these things are going to happen. What he said was nuts, right? It was crazy. And then she's like, all right, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let's do that, that stuff you just said. That's crazy. Let's do it. Okay? I'm going to sing a song now. <laughs> right? Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has come on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is a cool passage, right? It's a cool song. We get a, a deep glimpse into the heart of Mary in her worship. Probably a deeper insight into the heart of Mary than we do all throughout the Bible. It just tells us you know, things about her and things she said. Now we see her heart in how she worships God. And it says really clearly here, don't call me perfect, don't call me sinless, call me blessed. Because God has done great things for me. We can look at this, I think, Village Church, and we could say, well, <laughs> this is our story too then. I mean, verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for you and me. And so we can declare that we are greatly blessed. <laughs> We're people who have been shown what is true, right? And so we can worship the same way. The birth of Jesus is a, a declaration to us about our desperation. It makes our pride look ridiculous. The Word became flesh. Why? Because we had no way to save ourselves. We were desperate, hopeless. And so God had to come and rescue us. So who are we to be prideful if God himself showed the greatest humility of all for us? But what's so cool, I think, is that what God is offering us instead of pride is not just that we would be humbled and defeated, but that we would be humbled and adopted, right? I think this is good news for us this morning, that, that God's perfect plan is not for us to just be humble and defeated, but for us to be humbled and adopted into his family. So that we can declare as a people, well, who are we to be loved by God? And so we praise him, right? Lastly, this morning, I just think in the Christmas story, when we look at it, it just reminds us that our hearts are, are made to, to long for permanence, things that last. And the Christmas season is such a unique time because it, it's like a marker that you continually just measure your life up to. And every year you get to a new Christmas and you're a year older. And if you have kids, they're a year older and you... Take out ornaments and you remember like, oh, my kid was terrible at art and crafting, right? Like, 
and that's still true, you know. But we, we a, a Christmas that comes around every year, it's a season that we can measure ourselves up to, measure our life up to. And I think I'm reminded this week that a lot of us are heading into a Christmas season having maybe lost someone that you loved. Maybe it's a different Christmas. Maybe you've never had Christmas without someone that you're about to have Christmas without this year. Maybe some of you are heading into this Christmas season having gained someone new in your family. Maybe a a child born or a child adopted or someone marrying into the family. Maybe just a year filled with sadness that's been hard or just really difficult and, and different. I think this Christmas season, like all, it just causes us to to look back on past years and think life just changes a lot in a year, like a lot happens in a year. We're surrounded by things that don't last, things that disappoint, and and our human experience kind of makes us numb to these things over a while and, and teaches us to just accept or at least pretend to be okay with this reality that nothing lasts and nothing satisfies and and we just go on. I think what's really clear about God is that he's never really asked us to, to do that, right? That he's, he's asked us instead to look to the thing that does last. We don't have to pretend that this world is how it's meant to be. God's not asking us to do that. Instead, we look to God's word and we find the hope of permanence, right? And so I just want to look one more time at these verses. This is Gabriel speaking to Mary. He says, You will conceive, you shall call him Jesus, he will be great, he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord will give him the throne, he will reign, there will be no end. These are big promises from God. These are promises of permanence from God. These are promises about a future that that cannot be altered by anything in this life, and and so we're reminded that we have a God who, who can carry the weight of what we're feeling at Christmas because he's a God that's not wrapped up in all the brokenness of this world. He's a God that is above all of that and has offered us something that we can hope in at last. And so Village Church, as we always do in the Advent season, we, we want to encourage each other to fix our eyes on Christ and to not let this season go by and be wasted. And, and so... As we spend this month together looking at God's word in the Gospel of Luke and, and fixing our eyes on Christ, let's just be a people who use this season to be reminded of Christ and the one thing that is permanent, right? I love Christmas season because it's, it's, it's just different. There's lights everywhere and there's, there's things and things smell different and, and sound different. And I don't love all the music on the radio, but like, you know what I'm saying? I like the lights. And how much of a waste would it be to just kind of just consume those things without reflecting back in worship, right? That as we're reminded of these things, we are responding to God in worship. We're responding to the reality that God is a God of permanence, that God is doing something in this world that's so far beyond. I love the life of Mary. She points us to Christ. She she receives from Him the truth and and she responds in worship, and may we do the same, right, Bill Church? Yeah. Would you pray with me? Well, God, we thank you for this Christmas season, and God, we know that like every Christmas, this is just 
um, things just feel different and and um, we just have such a chance to to look to you in a season that can we can be consumed with all the things we need to do and all the things we need to purchase and may we be a people who are consumed with worship for you that we are consumed with thoughts for you and God we thank you for your word that we can look to the life of Mary and just be reminded that you are a good God to us that you exalt the humble may we be humble people may we be a, a people that look to you this Christmas and, and we just believe deeply that, that we need you and God would you reveal to us the, the things in our heart that are are keeping us from just responding in worship. God, pray that you would just bring to light as, as we worship you by your spirit, that you would bring to light just the things that we're saying. I, I need this to be in order. I can't, I can't possibly think about the glory of God when I have all of these things that are out of order in my mind. God, may you just speak really clearly to us that worship all the time. We worship in every season. We worship whether you've revealed to us so much or very little about the days ahead. We worship whether you've given us much or given us little. God, may we just be a people who believe these things deeply. God, we thank you that we don't have to look to the things of this world and that we find our hope in you. We love you, God. You're a good God. May we worship you now as you deserve it.